So tonight I'm going to be speaking on the prophet Zephaniah. Uh, he's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. But first I want to share a story from my childhood. Um, when I was about seven, my little brother Elijah um, played t-ball. He was four. And I would like to go to the practice with him because it was at the local park. And there was this like really cool play set that was adjacent to the baseball field that had a zip line. So it was basically the best thing ever at that point in my life. Um, and so there was one week, though, that my dad, they didn't have enough coaches. So they asked my dad to help run a drill. I don't know if he was like helping... 40-year-olds like catch ground balls or what that would even look like. Um, but they needed him to help, and so he asked me, are you going to be okay playing on this playset by yourself? I can kind of see the playset from where I am. Um, just call me if you need help. And so I was playing around. Um, I don't know if I was playing hide and go seek or what, but I was underneath it, and I stood up really fast, not realizing it was shorter than I was tall, and smacked the top of my head really hard on the like rubber-covered metal thing. Um, and like rubbed my head because it hurt and like looked at it and there, were blood, there was blood on my fingers um, and somehow I didn't lose it there wasn't a lot of blood but enough to like kind of get my hair a little wet and so I kind of like ventured over the fence um, my dad was busy I could kind of see him and I kind of was like dad I hurt my head but I didn't want to really interrupt him because I thought it was really cool that he was getting to help out with the um, I probably thought it was way cooler than he thought it was that he was getting to help out with the uh, um, the t-ball practice um, and in a sense I think there's a parallel between myself and the story and the people of Israel that we're going to look at here tonight in Zephaniah. Um, so the first two chapters, um, we get the sense, that it's a three-chapter book, that judgment is coming on the whole earth, but on Judah, which is the people of Israel this time in particular. Um, and so I want to begin by reading Zephaniah 3, 1 through 8. Um, something to keep in mind here is, this is Zephaniah's book, but God is speaking throughout. Um, so this is God's voice speaking to his people. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations... Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate, without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off, according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to cease the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word um, in RUF tonight. God, I pray that you would speak your truth through me. Um, that the words I say would be yours and not my own. I pray that you would open up the ears of everyone to hear the words I have to say that are yours and close them under my own. Um, and I just thank you for this opportunity. In your I pray. Amen. So first tonight, I want to focus on verses 3 through 4. Um, and here we see the roles of prophet, priest, and king mentioned. These are kind of roles that pop up in and out of the Bible. Um, different people hold these positions. They're kind of all God-ordained. Um, and these are the people who lead Israel, the ones who are prophets, priests, and kings. Um, it's important to note that no one is perfect at all of these except for Jesus. But there are some people who are pretty good at fulfilling these roles. Um, Aaron is kind of known as a good priest. He was the first priest. Elijah is known as a very mighty prophet. And David is kind of always looked to as being the ideal king of Israel. Um, but what we see here in verses 3 through 4 is condemnation is coming on these roles, um, on, these, on the people in these roles. So they seem to be abusing their powers. Um, the officials kind of relates to the king, the people who are kind of doing his work. 
It's clear that they're preying upon the people rather than protecting them as they should. Uh, the prophets are lying. They're fickle. They're trying to benefit themselves with their words rather than speaking God's truth as they should. And the priests are using holy items in the wrong ways in disobeying the law instead of sanctifying the temple and its instruments and teaching people the law. Um, we've seen this kind of judgment language a lot this semester. And to us, it doesn't really seem out of place in the Minor Prophets, but I think that it would have been a little jolting for the people at Zephaniah's time to hear at first. Um, he prophesied during the reign of King Josiah. And if you know anything about Jos- Josiah, um, he was actually a pretty great king. Second Chronicles 34.2 says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. There's not much uh, better compliment a king of Israel can get than to be compared to David. Um, so he was a pretty good king. The prophets, we know there are good prophets in the land. Exhibit A is Zephaniah. Um, I'm sure he's not accusing himself. Well, maybe he is, but he's at least speaking God's word. And there's Nahum, Habakkuk, and Jeremiah are in the land as well. Um, and they're actually undergoing great persecution and suffering to share the word. They're not just kind of being fickle about it. And in the priests, um, Josiah's reign is characterized by a lot of religious reforms. His grandfather was not a great king. Um, kind of like led Israel down some really bad roads. But Josiah's kind of cleaning that up. He's taking away altars that have been in Israel for 300, 400 years. Um, so the, the, the priests are a big part of this. Um, and they begin to teach people the law again. So on the outside, things look kind of good. Um, but the question is, what's going on on the inside of Israel? We look at verse 2 of chapter 3. Uh, God is speaking about Israel and he says, She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. So it seems like inwardly the people of Israel don't think they need God. Um, Verse 12 of chapter 1 of Zephaniah says, There are Israelites who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. And so they seem to think that God doesn't really care about what they're doing. Um, Maybe they're outwardly observing his commands, but they're doing it kind of just from duty, not really from their hearts. And then finally, in verses 4 through 6 of 1, it's clear that idolatry still exists in Israel, even though... There are a lot of reforms happening. Um, God says, I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal, who's a foreign god that Israelites were known to worship from time to time. There are idolatrous priests in the land, along with the good priests. Um, people are bowing down on the rooftops to the host of heaven, so like stars, moon, sun. Um, and they're like swearing to the Lord with their lips, but they're also swearing to this other false god, Milcom. So there's a lot of like, there's kind of two sides to this Israel thing. Some, some, some good things are happening, but there's still a lot of evil. Um, I think a lot of times I see my own life in a similar way. Um, I kind of think, you know, I woke up early, I read my Bible, I prayed, I haven't murdered anyone lately, uh, I try not to be greedy. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm just kind of focusing on the good things I'm doing. Um, not really, I'm trying to justify myself in my own eyes, and in the eyes of, of you guys, really. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm revealing a deeper sin in my life, one of pride and, and self-righteousness and self-reliance. Um, in a sense, I'm really no better than the Israelites. It's kind of easy to see divisions in a, in a people group to know that, like, these priests are bad because they're worshiping bound. These priests are good because they're worshiping God. But it's harder to see it in ourselves. Um, but I think these divisions do exist in all of us as well. Um, deep down, we don't really trust God moment by moment. Um, we're a seven-year-old with blood in his hair whose dad has given him a promise, but we don't really want to cash in on it because we think we can handle things by ourselves. Moving on in the, in the passage, verses 9 through 13, um, God says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame, because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove you from your midst, remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. 
They shall do no injustice and speak no lies. Nor, there shall, be fa- nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. So right on the heels of this like harsh judgment language, immediately we have these words of transformation and reformation. We see the proud being removed, the humble, being, the humble remaining. And I think that again, as there are like proud and humble parts in me, um, that those proud parts will be removed one day and, and the humble ones will remain in us. Um, inside, again, we're divided. We put up a front to impress people. We serve idols like our GPA, um, being well thought of by others, pursuing influence in the clubs and the social groups we're a part of. Um, but the goal should be to seek refuge and safety in God rather than our own works. Um, going back to verse 9, I think this is where we see a lot of hope in the passage. God says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. What's interesting here is we see these roles of prophet, priest, and king hinted at again. Um, we can see the prophet in the pure speech. The kings, people like David and Josiah, were supposed to call on the Lord for the people. They kind of led the people um, in times of good and bad and celebration and, and mourning. Um, so they led the people in crying out to God. There we see the kingly role. And then the priests were to serve God in the temple. So we see the priests pop up too. Um, and I believe that by doing these three things, by fulfilling these roles in these ways, um, we can become reliant on God rather than ourselves. So first we're going to look at the prophet. Um, they were accused back in verse 4 of being fickle and treacherous. And now we see that their speech is being ch- changed to a pure speech. Um, prophets are to speak the truth. That was their job in Israel. But first they had to hear God's word. Um, so they're fully relying on him for their message from the very beginning. Um, they're being accused, though, of being fickle and treacherous. So it seems to be that they're saying what suits them. Um, I kind of like imagine, do you guys remember when Joaquin was coming and there were like all these the paths that it was going to take? And there was like one day, like a 12-hour period where like six of them were coming from Norfolk and Williamsburg. And like one was going out in the ocean. And then it ended up going out in the ocean. And the weathermen are like, yeah, we said that was going to happen all along. But, like, really, we were all kind of getting ready to hunker down. Um, that's kind of a sense of what it, maybe the priests are doing, that they're kind of, like, throwing out prophecies and, like, oh, I said that right, or maybe even changing them, um, or maybe even gaining things by them, uh, perverting God's word so that they can gain power and influence and prestige. Um, so the question is, how are we fickle? Um, and I think that's something that we all do a lot is we, we overload our schedules so much that we can't fulfill our commitments. And then we begin to tell people, like, I'm going to do this thing for you, but we, can't, we actually don't have any intention of that. We just don't want to disappoint people to their faces um, so we don't show up to things. Um, another thing that I see a lot here, and I saw a lot in my own school and was a part of it in my own school a little bit, um, is something – I think it's called brag planning here, but I, I kind of know it as, like, competitive busyness, um, trying to be busier than other people. Uh, so an example of this – is like someone comes up to you and they're like, I have two tests this week, an eight-page paper and a group project. And instead of being like, oh, I'm sorry, like, do you need help with anything? We're like, oh, you think you have a rough. Like, I have three tests. I have two ten-page papers. I have to, like, run a philanthropy event for this club. <laughs> like, all these crazy things. Um, and so we try to impress each other with the busyness that we ourselves are complaining about. Um, it, in a sense, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, it, it becomes hard to share the truth with each other. But in reality, like, it's okay to slow down. Um, again, we don't want to appear lazy to others. We're driven by our GPA, by having the perfect resume, kind of just by perfectionism in general. Um, but what it's important to realize is this, this competitive busyness hurts everyone. Um, we, work, we drive ourselves to work harder and harder when we're already working too hard. Um, but we need to hear messages of acceptance and rest, that we're enough, um, and that we actually work better when we've taken time to rest. This is something, though, that we cannot do ourselves. Um, it says in, in verse 9 that God changes the speech of the people's we're not changing it by our own power. Um, and remember, prophets only said what God had given them to say first. Um, I understand we're not prophets. I'm not a prophet. Um, but what we do have is God's word. Um, and we have so many promises from God in, this, in the Bible. 
Um, so when we read the Bible, we find out what they are, and we find out how loved and accepted by God that we are. How loved and accepted by God we are. So that we can then share that with other people. Um, don't be like seven-year-old Jacob who had a promise from his dad, thought he could handle things on his own, but like was a seven-year-old with a cut on his head, totally not capable, and just felt scared alone. Um, next we have the role of the king. And so they were accused of being roaring lions and evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. And instead, they're called to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, note that this only comes after pure speech. The speech is being transformed first. Um, good kings in Israel led, to, led by calling out to God in times of trouble and by praising God when things are good. Uh, they were humble enough to realize that God was the reason they held their position. Something remarkable about David is he wasn't chosen to be king of Israel after he killed Goliath or after he had this like army of mighty men. He was like, a young boy, youngest of seven, um, a prophet named Samuel came and poured king on his head, and that's poured oil on his head, and that's when he became king of Israel. Um, and he kind of seemed to have a sense of that his whole life. Um, but after after David, Israel's history was kind of dominated by poor kings. There were some good ones in there, but there were a lot of bad ones who didn't really realize that their position was one of of grace and a gift and a privilege, um, and they began to be abusing their powers. Um, and we see that happening. A little bit during Josiah's time, obviously, as Zephaniah points out. Um, and I think that, in a sense, we're similar. A lot of times we think that our successes are our own, um, that we've earned them through our hard work. What made it possible for you to be here at William Mary? I think a lot of people would say, you know, I worked really hard in high school. I took a lot of AP classes. I was student, you know, body class president. Um, but I think there, I think while those are all true and, like, great achievements, there are things underneath those um, that made it possible. Like you probably had, you must have had parents that were invested in your education um, and cared about you and asked about to help you with your homework. Uh, you, you probably have an above average intellect if you're here. Um, and you had teachers throughout your education who genuinely cared about what you were learning and that you were learning things well. Um, another thing is just like simply being here in the US. Uh, there's an episode of The Office where the warehouse crew wins the lottery and everyone upstairs is kind of like talking about this development and Creed, like the crazy old man's like, I already won the lottery. And you kind of think, he, maybe he has, but then he's like, I was born in the USA, Bay, baby. And as a backup, I have a Swiss passport. Um, but like, that, it, like being here in the US is a big deal. Like we have an advantage that billions of other people don't have in education. Like, it's actually unprecedented, all of the advantages we have in education here. Um, and again, like these are factors all outside your blessing. You could have been born to parents in another country. Um, you could have had poor teachers your whole life. Um, Again, these are things that we haven't heard ourselves, and yet we kind of brag about them. Um, Josiah, as the king, he really tried to rule the nation according to God's will. Um, at one point, he finds the law. It's kind of like lost. I don't know how you lose it. Like in the temple for a long time. <laughs> and uh, Books were big back then, too, I think. They were scrolls. Anyway, um, he actually like tears his clothes when he finds out that Israel's been disobeying so many laws and that judgment is coming. And they actually consult a prophetess named Huldah, uh, who says, like, judgment's not coming yet. It's going to come later. Um, you're okay. And instead of breathing a sigh of relief and being like, well, now I can party because, like, I'm good, um, he actually, like, holds festivals and feasts to honor God and to thank him. And so he leads the people in, in calling out to God in repentance and thanksgiving. So he's humble enough to realize, first, that he needs God's help and that his blessings run of his own merit. And so in the same way, like, we should call upon God in good and hard times. Um, a lot of times we forget that he offers help, just like I forgot that my dad had offered if I did anything, not, not only if I cut my head, like, if I needed water, I could, like, come up to him and ask for help. Um, so the question becomes, like, how do we call upon God? And I think a main way we do this is prayer. Um, it's important to remember that God isn't a vending machine. You don't just, like, ask for things and receive them. Um, but I think it's 
very, very important also to remember to be honest in prayers. Um, follow Josiah's example. Like, don't like rip off your clothes in front of God or whatever. But like, be vulnerable. <coughs> like, show that level of vulnerability. Um, tell God how you really feel. Like, you, you've been given emotions for a reason, and it's okay to come to God in those emotions. Um, you don't have to wait till things are better to like begin praying to God. If you look at the Psalms, um, David. David praised God when things were good, and he also like came to God when things were bad and didn't really pull any punches. Um, what will happen when you are coming to him in these really raw times is you'll oftentimes begin to see that God is like far greater than your problems, which is humbling, but that he also still cares somehow. Um, and that's like extremely comforting in those moments. Um, then be aware, aware of how requests are answered. Um, oftentimes it happens in ways we don't expect. And so we see that prayer is humbling. We realize our smallness compared to God's infiniteness. infiniteness. Um, and we see that God can work outside ways we imagine. Finally, just rejoice when your prayers are answered um, and when you see God work. Finally, the priests. Um, they were called to serve God with one accord, but were accused of profaning what is holy and doing violence to the law. Again, this is coming after seeking God, just coming after pure speech. The whole process is driven by God. We're not doing this ourselves. Um, the priestly role was to serve God in the temple, um, in worship. They, they interceded for the people. They represented the people before God. Um, they taught them the law. And they were set apart, not because of what they did. Like, they didn't take some, like, priestly achievement test or PAT and, like, try to get a 1600. Um, it was just, they, they, they were chosen so that God could, like, use them to do what he wanted them to do. Um, it's important to know, too, that serving God is unique. Uh, we don't do things for God like we do things for other people. Like, we don't cook and clean and, um, like, listen to God and his problems. Because uh, he doesn't need us to do those things for him. The priests serve God by serving his people. So what, what they're accused of is doing violence to the law, which means they're kind of ignoring, maybe twisting it. Again, maybe doing something like the, the prophets were doing in um, abusing it for their own uh, benefit. Um, we see that there were idolatrous priests along with the good priests. Um, but the question is, like, how do we do violence to the law? And one way I think about um, that is, is the Sabbath. Um, do you guys encourage others to rest? Or can you remember the last day that you like fully took off and like didn't worry about school or any of your clubs um the ten commandments say like we're to work six days and to rest the seventh um but so often we take on far too much because we have this desire to be overly busy and to appear busy to others so they think that we like have worth in our lives um we never take a break and so never, others never see us resting and so they feel like they can't rest um, so the question is, why, again, why do we need to take a Sabbath for ourselves? Um, Scott Sauls, a pastor in Nashville, wrote a blog post about Sabbath. It's really good recently, and I'll send it to you if you'd like. But he says, the Sabbath is so much more than a moral command. Sabbath is a lifeline that reconnects us to God, our true and most healthy selves, the sacraments, community, and a rhythm of life that hard work, that tired, hard work bodies and souls need, like our lungs need oxygen. Taking a day off is part of being human. Like we were designed to work six days and rest one. Um, and that's just like part of who we are. So what would it look like to keep the Sabbath? Um, I think it's just a day of resting, relaxing, reflecting. Um, we become better able to serve God when we do these. Do something that brings rest to your soul, uh, whether that be photography, whether it be running. It's not for me, but some people like to run. Um, read a book that's like not for your classes, a book that you actually want to read. Um, take a nap. Spend some time reflecting on God, reading his word, um, praying, thinking about what he may be teaching in your life. Um, and then something that I find truly restful is just like being outside, especially on a day like today, and just like taking delight in creation and all the things God has given us outside. Um, but remember, we, again, we must be served before we're able to serve others. Um, oftentimes we think 
maybe God has better things to do than care for us, just like I thought my dad was doing better things by, like, teaching four-year-olds how to, like, catch ground balls, which they probably couldn't even do anyway, um, than helping me. Um, yeah. So the story we have in Zephaniah eventually doesn't really end well. Um, in verse 8 of chapter 1, God says, On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons. And we see in, in the end of Second Chronicles that three of Josiah's sons did rule after Josiah's death. They each are accused of doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, they're all punished. And with the, the third one's reign actually ends when Jerusalem falls and the people are sent into exile. And so for, in a sense, like, it's over. Um, they relied on themselves in the end, not God, just as we do the same time in our lives over and over again. Instead of seeking God and listening to his voice, we try to live life on our own. So after T-ball practice ended, um, I was able to talk to my dad, uh, and he, he wasn't like, thank you for not interrupting me, like, that was like the most interesting experience I've had in a long time, and I'm glad that I didn't have to like tend to you during that. Um, he asked, like, why didn't you come to me sooner? Like, why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you come closer to the fence and like tell me you were hurt? I obviously would have come, and it, it is pretty clear that, that a lot of good dads, like good dads would do this, this is what dads should do. Um, but for some reason, I didn't think of myself as important enough in his eyes at this moment. And so what I want to ask tonight is, do you see yourselves in this younger version of me? Is there something that you're really, truly struggling with that you don't think you can bring before God? Are you trying to solve all your own problems? Are you afraid of seeking God, um, not just when things are good, but especially when things are bad? And do you think he doesn't care? Uh, I just want to encourage you, don't keep your bleeding wounds from God, because he does care. Uh, the Israelites were judged, but that wasn't the end of the story. Um, in verse 5 of chapter 3, immediately after the accusations against the prophets, the priests, and the kings, we see, The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. So even though God's people weren't following his law, God was remaining faithful, and God was remaining just. And 600 years later, God would actually prepare another sacrifice, his own son, and what was remarkable about Jesus is he actually was the perfect prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet, he taught, advised, corrected the people. Um, he shared the truth. He, if you read the first chapter of John, he literally was the word, the truth, the logos made flesh. As a king, he called upon God constantly throughout his ministry. You see him getting away for prayer um, in the midst of all the busyness of his life. Um, and if you look at the genealogies in the beginning of Martin, man, he's literally a descendant of David. Um, like, like uh, biologically. Um, and then as a priest, he sacrificed himself to sanctify the people, and he corrected the violence the Pharisees were doing of the law and taught people the true law. Well, what's remarkable about Jesus is he let the Father in moment by moment of his life. Um, you can see him constantly relying on God and his word in the Gospels. Um, and through his sacrifice, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see our sin and our failures as prophets, as priests, as kings. Um, he sees Jesus. Verses 11 through 12 of chapter 3. Say, on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. How do we rely on God? We stop focusing on ourselves and begin to focus on the work of Christ. Only he was free from judgment, and only he fulfilled these roles. He showed how much he cares for like our little, our little head wounds, um, our little bleeding wounds, and our big wounds. Some of you have big wounds too, um, by receiving the ultimate wound himself, death on the cross. When we focus on Christ and seek God rather than on our own works, our speech will be turned into pure speech, 
we will find ourselves calling out to God and we'll serve him alongside others. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you have taken away our judgments, um, that you are in our midst and that we have no reason to fear evil. Thank you that you rejoice over us with gladness, that you quiet us by your love, and that you exult over us with loud singing. I pray that you would impress the gospel upon our hearts tonight. Um, Remind us of how accepted and loved we are by you. Um, And begin to transform us so we need renewed lives. Thank you, Father. Amen.